What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another edition of the Lombard Trucking Show. We're at episode 94. Got a very wonderful episode for you guys. We're talking all things insurance, especially in the commercial vehicle world. There's a lot of things that are coming down the pipe uh, very soon. Uh, we've talked about insurance a lot on the show, about how it's essentially become one of the biggest gatekeepers of the industry when it comes to hiring, when it comes to starting your business. Uh, it's become And it gets more and more complicated as the years have gone on. I was actually just on a Facebook uh, comment section and somebody was talking about what their insurance was per year. They said that back in the 90s, they were paying $5,000 a year to insure their truck. And even if you even if you have a used truck now, if you're trying to get a, you know, a cargo and liability insurance for your commercial vehicle, even with two years on your CDL, sometimes you're looking at a $20,000 a year policy. And this is all dependent on uh, you know, uh, not your equipment, how old the equipment is. There's so much that goes into it now. It's becoming very complicated, but I'm bringing on kind of a, a, an insurance guru uh, in this aspect. He's very well-versed in the industry. He's been working in it for 40 years. He has his own, uh, he has his own business in this. He's actively involved with us over at CDL Drivers Unlimited. So without any further delay, I want to bring in Mr. Darren Yancey, a Yancey Insurance Consulting Group. Darren, welcome to the show, brother. Hey, thank you. Now, I got to correct you one thing. I'm not that damn old. It's only been 30 years. Uh, oh, man. See, I was trying to I was trying to beef up your resume a little bit. <laughs> trying to, try to add age to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, I'll, I'll take that back. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll rescind. So he's, he's got 30 years, which is uh, which is perfect enough. So it goes to show you got a lot to offer uh, when it comes to this wheelhouse. Yeah, there's a lot going on right now. Um, effectively, you know, in going back over a period of time, I started really uh, my first particular position that I got in the industry was for for adjusting. That was the first license that I got. Uh, at the time, I got into property adjusting. I actually did some stuff in Hawaii with Hurricane Aniki. It's when Hurricane Andrew hit. thought it was all kind of cool. Ended up getting into... Um, an insurance agency with Nationwide in the early years. We were in a retail operation, kind of expanded into non-Nationwide business. And, you know, we did auto and home for the first few years. And then uh, we kind of got in, Nationwide got in some trouble with uh, doing some things they weren't supposed to do from a pricing standpoint. We couldn't sell anything. And where my office was, was right over off of I-30 and 360. And there's a, there's a great big commercial area over there that just had trucks coming out the wazoo. And we just happened to have people start tripping into our office, you know, found out we had an office. Hey, you guys sell truck insurance? Well, we don't know, but we'll try to find out. Um, started getting into that, got into tow trucks, got into garage. And before you knew it, we had a very, we were running about 40 million of premium, um, a very large regional agency, you know, uh, by the time, you know, we were in 10 years old and, once you get into that business, it's kind of hard to get out of the business because I love the people in trucking. I love people in tow trucks. I love the folks that work on cars. Uh, they're what helps make America great. Trucking puts up with a lot of crap, um, specifically more than anything else. And so it's, it's always been a specialty. It's always been something that's near to my heart. The challenge has been, you know, when we had the, the financial meltdown of 2008, which kind of really trickled into 2010, 2011. We lost a lot of good mom and pop companies under 50 fleets, 
had a lot of good employees. They, they just got wiped out. Um, the year it happened, we were getting, we, we ran a lot of energy. Uh, we had people that were hauling cranes and hauling mud and hauling salt water. And we, we had the fuel haulers. We, we kind of, we, we, we lost diversification in our book and kind of got everything in an energy, which, you know, at first you don't, you don't think anything about it. And when the, the financial collapse came, all of the oil and gas producers, and I lived in Texas and there was a lot of them, they effectively shut everything down. I mean, they shut it down. No more hauling. We're not drilling. We're not doing anything. So you had guys that had went out the year before, guys and girls, and they had, you know, went out at least 10 trucks or added five or six, you know, maybe they bought them. Well, those, if you know the prices on these trucks, they're not cheap, even when you're leasing them. So you had people that were making very big payments, whether truck payments or lease payments, running them, and then the next year, they're dead. We were moving people up to the back end play, over to the Pennsylvania play. We were just trying to get our, our trucks, whether, whether we kept them insured or not, we wanted to help, you know, keep the people going. And it was carnage. It was real carnage. Well, what came out of that was, in 2011 and 2012, you started seeing a new breed of uh, over-the-road trucker evolve. You had a lot of folks that came in from Eastern Europe. You had a lot of folks came in from East Africa, okay? And very hardworking people, good people. And a lot of them were by my office. And so they just kept coming in and we kept insuring more and more on these people. And all I, you know, I had my, my book of business looked like the United Nations. Uh, we had every, every nationality, every color in there. It was wonderful. Um, some of them are better business people than others. You know, they all drive trucks, but none of them can keep, not everybody keeps their books good. Not everybody keeps their safety good. Not everybody learns everything that they should learn. And so what we started having is losses were starting to go up. You had it just, it was a different breed of trucker. And at that particular time, the insurance company saw the rates uh, were what they felt were insufficient. So you started seeing massive rate increases. When I say massive, two, 300%, okay? Within like a 12 to 24 month period. And of course, that was just shocking for everybody. And this is 2012 timeframe we're talking. This is 2012 timeframe, mm -hmm. okay? Because that's really, that's when the trucking industry changed. You had a lot of the old guard, they got, they got blew out and they just, they didn't want to come back. A lot of them just said, I just don't want to come back. You know, the, the, they weren't making the margins. They didn't want to come in. So you have a, right now, if you look at your, if you look at your spectrum of what gets into over the road trucking, it's, it's, it's a very diverse class. Okay. Not only from, they're not just folks from America. You got immigrants that have come in, legal immigrants are working their butts off. Uh, you've got women now that are uh, much more participation in over-the-road trucking than they were 15 years ago. So you've got a great diversity out there. The challenge has been it's we, we don't have all of the tools available for these folks. They're coming in as, as mom and pops. It takes a lot of capital. It takes a lot of time. There's a lot of compliance with it, and sometimes things fall through. And what's happened is in the last 10 years, the frequency of what we're seeing in claims in trucking has started to rise. Mm -hmm. What do I, when I say frequency, what I mean is the number of accidents that truckers get involved in. That could be they're backing into a car. Um, they're hitting a telephone pole or they're having a major accident. They're all over the place. And do you, do you think that possibly 
and this is just me asking you, you a question that within the past 10 years, as we talk about this in the, this in the show, where, like you said, a, a lot of people have come into the industry um, from all walks, uh, all walks of life, all parts of the world. Do you think that that that's you just listed two things that two two very specific things that kind of equal why the claims have gone up? And it's mm -hmm. you have uh, you need a lot of capital and you need a lot of compliance. So there's a whole lot of stuff you actually need. But the thing is, but the barrier to entry is still very low. And with oh, it's that, very low. And with that barrier to entry being so low and the need for so much compliance being so high. I think that in a mathematical equation, I think that's that's a lot of where these rise of claims can come from. Well, what's happened is a lot of those folks, they came in and, you know, they would they would get their CDL and they would go and, and work for a large mega fleet. OK, because of those barriers to go through and they get. But they what they realize is, hey, once I've been doing this two or three years, I think I can do better for myself. And you know what? That's the American dream. Let's go do better for ourselves. So they want to pursue that. So it goes through. There's just some challenges that we have in terms of we don't, you know, you, you look at, you look at a pilot that gets behind that seat in a plane. They've had thousands of hours of training before they ever put someone in it. What do we have in trucking? We have no base limit for the amount of hours that are required in a commercial driver's license. You and I know we probably need 120 to 150 to make you viable to be doing this. There was a proposal put before the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, what, three years ago for 30 hours, and they couldn't even agree on that. That's a problem. And that problem has led to maybe your firm goes and they, you, you, you're taking more hours and you're getting more behind your CDL and you're doing more, but maybe there's, Joe Ragman out there that decides, eh, I'm not going to spend as much. I'm going to do the little barrier and he doesn't do as much. And then they go out and they have the accidents or they, have, they, they kill somebody and it makes us all look bad. Mm -hmm. Okay. So one of the things we've got to do as an industry is we've got to, we, we've got to do better as an industry of setting the bar higher to get that uniform so that we can have a better performance when we get out on the road. Now, how does all this relate to insurance? Insurance is about the amount of money you take in in premium and how much you pay out in claims. And what's happened in really, it really jump started in 2015, 2016, is as those frequency claims rose, we saw a certain segment of our society known as the plaintiff's attorney associations take notice of trucking accidents. They studied it. They learned it. They digested it, and now they eat us for, for, for breakfast, supper, and dinner and defecate us over a long, tall cliff. So we've got to go back and change some things because we've created a cottage industry for the plaintiff's attorneys because we're not doing our jobs. We're not getting those better hours of training. We're not doing it. So those frequencies are going up. Now, what this does to your insurance is it's driving the rates up. You you were telling me an example 15 years ago of what people were telling you the rates were. What what share that with us? Yeah, that was that was right on a Facebook comment section. Somebody posted on a page uh, I'm on. Uh, it, it had to do with they're trying to lower their insurance premium, and they're in in their post. They were like, I have uh, 
you know, they have more than three years on their CDL. Uh, their equipment's not that new. I, it's probably, I think they said it was like a 2014, whatever their equipment was. And they're still looking at close to $30,000 a year for their cargo, cargo and liability policy. And somebody commented down below, he was saying, wow, I remember back in 97, you know, it was either 92 or 97. He goes, I was paying $5,000 a year for, for his, for his truck insurance. When I was riding truck insurance in 96, the premium was $4,500. Yeah. Now that was for liability. That wasn't cargo and fizz dam, but you could do the whole thing for 5,500. Mm-hmm. Now that's going to run between 20 and 30, depending on number of years you've been in business, number of losses. And so you, they, they, you go, how, how do we go? How did we get from there to here? Okay. And realistically, the last 12 years has been a significant, if you, if we had a chart doing a bell curve, that's when you're going to see a majority of those rates coming up because the frequency started going up. And in the last, like I said, since 2016, what's driven it up has been attorney participation. Now, how does attorney participation drive this up? Well, let me give you a little example. Um, one of the things that I'm currently doing right now, because we've been working on a tow truck program for a couple of years, and unfortunately it's very expensive and uh, we got shot down with reinsurance and we'll get to that. So I have skills. I lend out, make money in other areas. One of the things that I've been doing is complex litigation claims for a third-party administrator for um, a couple of very large, well-known programs, a Trishura program and Knight. And Knight as in Swift Knight? No, just as in Knight, Knight Brook Insurance. Oh, okay. This is okay. separate from the this, carrier. Yeah, this is this this is there. I'm I'm actually adjusting claims for the Trishura program and for the Knight Brook programs. And the problem that we run into is, for example, let's say our trucker um, has someone come in front of them and they scoop and swat and they, they eliminate that safety cushion. Okay. And they have to, that person in front stops and my trucker hits them because they eliminated that safety cushion. Now generates a couple of thousand dollars worth of property damage. The problem is now is these attorneys have they're they're watching the claims network and so when that happens they're contacting that person that got hit who probably is responsible by the way that's in what i just described that car is responsible for that accident mm-hmm. we have problem with adjusters who are not properly identifying it but we have attorneys who have <clears throat> testicles the size of all those who effectively uh what they do is they get a hold of these people say well they done you wrong and you've got all these, these injuries and they start sending them to all these different medical facilities to start running up stuff. And the problem is what we get into is by the time they present a demand, they'll turn around that scenario that I, that I caused you, that I talked to you about there, they'll present a demand for three to $400,000. Now that thing might settle for 150 to 200. You might, well, why, how does it settle the threat range? because that's just how these negotiations play out because they know if they file a suit and I have to go hire an attorney, by the time I get that attorney hired, they do the responses. We get to mediation or trial. The carrier's going to spend $150,000. Now let me tell you where that 150,000 shows up. It shows up on the over the road truckers loss ratio on their loss runs. Okay. Cause they're going, how do I just bumped his bumper. How does and they start blowing? I'm telling you how. 
And these attorneys know this. So they're going to be in rent and say, look, you could pay me or I'll file suit and you can just, you're going to pay me plus you're going to pay your attorney. So you're these, between, you're between a rock and a hard spot. These are the, the, we're talking about these billboard attorneys, right? You're talking about these types of fellas, the, the call for, they, you need well, four those, are, those are the bigger ones. They don't all have billboards. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, so there's a, uh, there's other predators. So the not, there's non billboard attorneys out there. Oh, oh, buddy, the billboards are the ones that can afford it. Yeah, Steve Adler, the hammer. He's, yeah, he's he's near and, and us. we've he's dealt just... with the hammer. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, I've dealt with Thomas J. Henry and Associates. I mean, we've dealt with all of these mother truckers. The reality of the situation is there's a whole. They're out there now. You've got them where they they will um, accommodate by race. I have some that only deal with certain segments of races. It's a, it's incredible. You got some that will only deal with certain sections of sex. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very interesting industry, but they've got what, what's happened is the plaintiff's industry has examined the trucking industry and they've said, Oh, <laughs> you're, 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 you're the biscuit train. You're, I'm sure you're the gravy train on biscuit wheels and we're going to ride you to death. This and that's is, what they're doing. Yeah. So they're, that basically these, it's almost like how somebody would look at a market when they want to open up a business. These attorneys looked at crash data for the past, you know, 10 years. And they said, wow, there's a, there's a market for this. Well, and the other thing is they looked at the federal filings for what we have to have for insurance. Mm -hmm. And they said, Oh, there's a $750,000 policy out there. Well, that pays more than the damn, these cars I've been chasing. And that's when they went after it. When it really got stupid was you go back a few years ago when we had the, uh, the, the, the Swift lawsuit. And I don't know if everybody remembers it. It was like a $90 million case. Okay. Which by the way, it didn't pay 90 million. And, and the facts of the matter were we had the folks with, with, with armor Swift going down one side of I-40 with a newer driver and a trainer. And we had another car on the other side of I-40 that had a family in it that had some t- something happened. Somebody had a heart attack and lost control, came across the median and hit that truck. Those are the facts of the matter. What the attorneys did, and, and those of you in the over the road, you better listen to what I'm telling you here, is they got a hold of their safety manuals. And they read in the safety manuals that if they have a new driver with a certain amount of hours, which this driver qualified for, that they would not be able to drive in inclement weather and there was icing coming down on the road. Even though that driver didn't do a damn thing for that accident, the attorneys convinced a jury because they didn't follow their protocol that those people would have lived if that trucker had not been there. Now, why somebody from the other side didn't say, hey, buddy, I could have been on the, I could, the trainer could have been driving. It would not have changed the outcome. But unfortunately, you've got a mentality in a lot of these juries that want to just, well, by God, mama and daddy died and baby's hurt and somebody's got to pay. And they did. And that's what's called a nuclear verdict. Mm-hmm. Okay. So all of these things have led to races. Now, what we've got is a situation where cameras are the next big thing that are going to be mandatory in every type of big unit, whether it's a over the road truck, whether it's a tow truck, I don't care if it's a taco truck, 
if you're hauling cement, you're going to have to have cameras on it because the cameras eliminate the guesswork of what actually happened. Yeah, that's what I wanted to get into next is, is the word the word on the street from 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 everybody, you know, the, the the word around the scuttlebutt, whatever, you know, you want to call it is that within the next 24 months, that's the next, uh, you know, gatekeeper of the industry is if you want an insurance policy, you're going to have to have a camera. And in a lot of ways, I think this, you know, is this going to include inboard facing cameras, too, or do you or for now, is it just you know, dash cameras. I, I, I really don't. And I, and I can tell you right now, someone who's actually, I'm, I'm on this battlefront and I'm actually adjusting these claims and I see what's coming in. Okay. I don't really need to see the driver as much as what I need. It, it's helpful, but what I need to see is what's happening on the front, what's happening on the back. And more importantly, what's happening on the sides and what's happening down the sides of the truck. Do you know what our, our, our highest frequency collision is today? I would guess it has to do with cars clipping trailers. I mean, that's and well, backing accidents, I think, is the number um, one. Not backing hack, hack, but I'm talking about the one that we're, we're that's causing the most havoc are what we call merge collisions. OK, we've got our trucker that's changing lanes. And. We have times where they just don't see the guy and they clip them. And if we've got a camera of that, then the, the, the actual video of that situation answers a lot of questions. Okay. What's our rate of speed what kind of damages we could see what happened to the car. We've also got situations where I I've had them where we've got people just doing stupid stuff, hit our truck. Now they're going to sing a song. Oh no, no, no. It was the trucker. But if I've got a side camera, where I can see that, it, it eliminates it. Now, we've got ways to kind of get some of this data in what they call EDR downloads on cars and ECM downloads on the trucks. But a camera is the best way because we can see what happened. We can see the collision. We can see the speed. We can see the resulting what happened. In other words, if we actually bumped them, did we just kind of bump them, we did some damage, or did we knock them off the road? There's a difference in how much damage that's going to pay. There's difference what what the carrier is going to have to come out of their pocket on. And right now, we've got a situation where you've got a group of adjusters in the marketplace, and I and I hate to I hate to poo poo on my own kind, but we got to call it for what it is. There is a generation of adjusters out there who aren't as well trained as they should be and who are intimidated by these lawyers. Now, when I say intimidated, I'm talking, I, I'm, I'm going to look, I'm an old guard. I've been around for a while. I don't put up with the, 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 the horseradish and I'll put an, I'll put an attorney in their place and don't bother me. But as I said, a lot of these attorneys have a, a genitalia, the size of Volvo's, the women included, by the way. Okay. <laughs> This is not exclusive to men. I some of the hardest core that I've run into have been females, and I'm, and they're vicious. They're just absolutely vicious. And uh, the reality is, a lot of the adjusters that do the ex initial property damage examination in today's adjusting environment have not been properly equipped to know what's how to, how to look at a pinch, which is where a trucker has 
he's going into a wide turn. He's taking that lane. That's his lane, her lane, when they go into it. And we have some stupid idiot that tries to beat him around the corner and they get pinched. We don't have enough training on that. We don't have enough training to recognize from a property damage standpoint, if I do have a car that hit that comes into my trucker's lane and hits it, to recognize how that damage occurs. Well, you and I know if I've got a car and my truck comes into their lane, we're going to tear the snot out of that car. Okay? That's just fact. We're going to do some major damage. But if that guy comes into my lane, hits my truck, it's not going to do as much damage. It's just not. And you don't have to have a camera to know that, but it does take experience. So we don't have those adjusters. So here's what's happening, folks. And you're not going to like the answer is you've got a lot of bad adjusting decisions where liability is being accepted and the carrier is on, once they've accepted liability, the carrier is on the hook to, go, to ride it out and pay the damages. There is a large chunk of that going on. So the industry is its own problem by itself, just like trucking is. These are things that have to be corrected. So cameras eliminate a lot of those errors. I've got three, three demands that I'm working on where we've had an accident, uh, where we've had a presentation from the other side of what they want compensation for. And I've got, and these, I'm lucky in these particular ones, I've got camera footage in each one. So you're kind of what you're basically saying is essentially the insurance companies have got they're they're up against the wall because they they don't have adjusters who can do the job uh, efficiently and you and so in reality insurance companies are paying out when in in reality they shouldn't be paying out and so now it's it's there's a percentage of that yes so so, yes. so in a, in a, in essence the insurance companies aren't requiring the cameras for the carriers to even protect the carriers the insurance companies seem to want the cameras to protect themselves as well Absolutely. that's what that's what it seems to be that's Absolutely. where it seems to be the, the the how the hand has been forced well it, it and it is because it's a combination of factors we've had frequency factors go up we got a different breed of driver out there We've got the plaintiff's attorneys who have, they have figured this thing out. Okay. And we have a deficit of education in the adjusting community to recognize some of these things worth to do because my nickname is Dr. No, because if I see something that fits questionable and I have my driver's statement, okay. Uh, I'm going to decline it. Prove to me I'm wrong. Unfortunately, there is a mindset out there of, well, I can't prove that he's right. Therefore, I'll accept it. That's the wrong mentality. And, and that's permeated throughout. That is throughout the industry. So there are problems with the industry accepting liability. That's also creating it. That's got to be fixed. The cameras eliminate the guesswork. Okay. I've got in all three cases that I'm looking at right now, I got one where our guy came into a lane. He was too close to the guy. I think the guy tapped his brakes as, to, as kind of a, you know, finger to him. And our guy tapped him. That happened to be a Porsche. And there's not much damage. But we know they're going to try to do a big bodily injury claim. But I'm like, we have the video, folks. We know how, we know how hard he hits you. Similar one. Gal's at a stoplight. She's just starting to hit. And we have the video where the guy tapped her, not 
You know, you should see some of these demands I see coming across. It's like, oh my God, it's life altering. It was a violent collision. Their life is changed. Right? Just all kinds of nonsense. And then you go watch the video and you go, were you smoking drugs when you wrote this demand? And, you know, I, I put it in my, in my responses. You know, your video doesn't back up any of this. So that's why the camera is going to be there because you've got one side, despite a video, they will still, they'll throw everything but the kitchen sink to make you think that you are on the hook for millions and millions of dollars. And on the other side, we may have an uneducated adjuster who doesn't have the self-confidence to question the claim. The information data on the camera eliminates it. Now, it doesn't mean that the attorney is going to roll over and die. It doesn't necessarily mean the adjuster is going to make the right decision with the data, but you eliminate a lot of nonsense by having that video. And that's why it's, it's, you know, we were talking two years. I, there's, there's been a change in the marketplace of an event. Um, and really everybody needs to be aware of what's about to happen that I think the rollout on cameras is going to be faster than two years. About four months ago, there was a discovery of fraud in the reinsurance markets. Now, when I tell you, and I use the word reinsurance, understand that reinsurance permeates every form of liability insurance on the globe. In other words, your house that you've got insured for half a million dollars that Nationwide or State Farm charge you a couple of thousand dollars on, they turn around and they sell off most of that risk to someone else. Same thing in trucking insurance, same thing in marine insurance, aircraft, it doesn't matter. And reinsurance allows stability. And one of the things that they do in reinsurance is they go out and they may say, hey, look, we need to, we, we've got a program. We're writing 20 million of truck insurance. We'd like to write 40. And that reinsurance market says, OK, let me go get some letters of credit to back it up in case the event of loss, because we got to have assets. And what happened was um, we don't know exactly when we don't know exactly how much, but we do know that there were letters of credit that were sold or purchased, I should say from Chinese markets and those letters of credits were not backed up with hard assets. Now this had been go, we don't know how long it's been going on, but we do know there was a particular market that was expanding their risk and they needed to verify one of these letters of credit. This is in trucking. Uh, This particular one was just in the commercial property market. Oh, commercial, commercial property market. Their reinsurance has been, is compromised with some Chinese credit stuff. But this is just one. Okay. But it, here's the thing. Once they, they found out about it, they started talking with other sectors and other programs. This thing affects the entire global insurance system, trucking insurance, property insurance. Uh, if you've got directors and officers, it, it, it impacts everything. Because what's happened is uh, these particular letters of credit where money was taken to issue them had no cash assets. So now these insurance reinsurers are having to go back and repurchase these letters of credit to make their current program stable, which means they're paying for the same thing twice. Now, would you like to guess what's going to happen? That, that, that's, that's your rate increase. Those are your rates going that's up. That's your rate increase. And I will tell you right now in the next 12 months, it's going to be substantial. If you're paying 12 to 15 for truck insurance, you're about to pay 20. If you're paying 4,000 for your home and auto, you're about to pay eight. And there is no escaping it. I'd love to tell you that there was. I'd love to tell you you could raise your deductibles and you might impact it some, but the reality is this is fraud. Um, and and it's, it right now it is having devastating impact on a lot of insurance markets. I know, I know particular risks in lumber and uh, 
mobile home parks, they, they can't get insurance. There's nobody offering insurance right now. Uh, we were trying to get a tow truck program. The guys that we had for our reinsurance said, we're out. Uh, the product that I was selling, which was, uh, you know, for shock losses for truckers, um, the people that were going to do the reinsurance were part of their, their portfolio was got caught up in that fraud. They had to pull out and it killed a $50 million program. So it's going to have negative impact all over the place. And in my opinion, I think what you're going to see happen because reinsurance dictates the programs. People don't realize this because ultimately if, if some, if you go out with your truck and you flip it and you kill somebody and there's a million dollar policy there and they're going to cut that million dollar check, um, that comes not from the initial carrier that comes from the reinsurance market. It's what's called a cash call. And I think the reinsurance market is going to use this opportunity to accelerate in wheels specifically the use of cameras. Yeah, this this sounds like I mean to me if I'm uh, you know if I'm the owner of a small motor carrier hearing this, I mean we've because we've seen in this market uh, customers have to reduce rates. One customer will reduce the rates uh, on one motor carrier. This happened in North Carolina. And with their margins being so razor thin, puts them out of business. Yeah. And th- I mean, this this right here, I've heard another story. There was another story of a gentleman. I spoke to him. I met him last summer. He had a customer cut his rates. He had to cut owner operators from his from his authority. And it was down to him. And then the, 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 the nail that hit him is last year, his insurance had gone up. And he's like, well, my insurance is too much. So I'm going to go. He eventually got rid of his authority and went to lease on. Yeah. So what this, what this sounds like is... It's almost going to be a double whammy. You're saying that the insurance is going to go up, even though they're going to start requiring the cameras too. So the because yes. the camera because the cameras cost money. They aren't just you don't just buy the camera. The, right. These are subscription based uh, devices. No, that's that's 100 correct. I mean this this is going to be a double whammy. Um, there's no way around it. And and here's the thing: this is a case where the truckers are going to have to pass on the cost. They're not going to have a choice. Um, the, ultimately the consumer is the one that's going to take it in the shorts because if, you know, and, and those that are doing self-insuring, they still have to file a bond. Okay. Uh, their bond's going to double, you know, so it's, there's, there is no way out of this. And for the, you know, the smaller fleets that are carrying the stuff, they're not going to be able to suck it up and, and not pass it on. They're going to have to, and this is going to be conversations you're just going to have to have. And, and ultimately, it's a form of inflation that we don't have a way to correct. Now, will it stay this way forever? That's There's the really important question, okay? And the answer is going to be no, and I'll tell you why. The one thing I will tell you about the insurance industry is it will snuff out, flush out, and find fraud. They're very good at that. These are people that, are, that handle money. They know what they're doing. So we know where the fraud occurred. What we don't know is the extent of the fraud. And there's a lot of companies that are, there's, there's a lot of names that are involved in this that haven't done anything wrong, but they're in a position, they don't know what their exposure is. And that's what folks need to understand. If you're riding a hundred million dollar trucking program or a billion dollar uh, property you know, program and the reinsurance you had in place, you find out isn't any good, you have problems. So it will work itself out. Um, it's not going to be a perpetual problem, but it's going to be used as a reason to usher in some other risk management tools, which ultimately will lead to better rates. 
Now, I will tell you this because I've seen it happen, and, and I'm going to do everything I can to take advantage of it. When we see hyper-acceleration in rates in markets, somebody somewhere, because this will this this will settle. There'll be insurance reinsurance carriers go, okay, we, we've settled this. We know where our risk is. We, we're now ready to come back in and take some more risk. It will only be a matter of time before the premiums are going to be way too high, and you're going to have greedy companies going to say, I want a piece of that action and I'm going to come in and I'm going to undercut the market. So it will balance mm -hmm. out, but it's going to take a couple of years. Yeah. I, uh, I, I mean, I have this sort of, uh, everybody, nobody really has a love, a love of insurance. And, you know, some people refer to insurance companies as the, as the mafia you pay, you know, you're paying them for protection and, you know, sometimes they show up it's, for you. Sometimes they, they don't, but when well, it it's all true. It's all true. It, yeah. But when it comes to the mafia, if somebody's when there's fraud or something, you know, so when it comes to, you know, they'll snuff out the fraud, they'll they'll make oh, yeah. sure they take care of who's robbing them blind. So, I, yeah, I, I definitely didn't see it as a forever thing. I kind of want to I do have a question for you, though, in regards mm -hmm. to these cameras, and because this is where I'm always the most skeptical. And I, I there's several listeners of this show who are who are big trucking zealots. Uh, you know, I know guys. You know, I know truckers who won't drive for a company that has a safety department. They won't drive. You know, if they if they're if this motor carrier is a safety department, they've already been compromised by Big Brother. And uh, to an extent, I very much kind of uh, somewhat agree with that uh, lo logic when it comes to driver autonomy. But so the, but the dash cams I kind of have seen as beneficial from what you've been saying. But what scares me and where I'm skeptical, not not so much scared, but where I'm skeptical is these cameras is who who's owning the data of these is because the, the data, because I know that there are cameras out there and I believe the mega carriers are doing this is because the mega carriers are bought into all things autonomous, which include, which I know night is one of them. And, you know, so are several other large carriers. They seem heavily focused on, on rolling out autonomous vehicles is this data is learning. And, and, and which actually you just brought up the adjuster adjuster question uh, these cameras are learning and acquiring data, saving this data that they're then able to use to teach LIDAR systems for autonomous. But now I'm also wondering, so in the same front is how safe can small businesses keep their data from not being sold to Kodiak Robotics and stuff? But also, are you, know, are you talking about these cameras possibly de-skilling, which would lower the wages or remove the jobs of these adjusters? Because I, I have plenty of friends who went into insurance. I'm from Connecticut. Hartford's the insurance capital of the world. I know a lot of, you know, a lot of people who work for the Hartford and for Aetna and for, you know, and I know they're in the health world, but who've made careers in insurance. They started out adjusting, you know, is this, so that's, that's kind of where my head's at in regards to some of the data in the, with these, with what these cameras can do on the long-term span of things well let's 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 back up a second on the autonomous thing i mean first off the only people that are going to be able to to do autonomous fully are going to be mega carriers that are self-insuring because they're not going to find a standard market who will indemnify autonomous technology because first off we already know that most of the technology that's out there in autonomous is basically game game-based technology mm -hmm that has you have to have billions and billions of miles in testing done before it's even going to be ready to, to, to even talk about level four. Okay. They can say, oh, we're ready to roll it out. Well, I mean, how, how many of you had bike the dust this past year? You know, it's, it's very expensive. You don't have the infrastructure from the LIDAR standpoint. I'm not, and I'm not saying that we can't get there, but at the end of the day, 
here's the other thing in the American people are going to have to weigh in on this. Do I really want a robotic semi-tractor rolling down my streets and highways? The answer is no. I don't want any of them on the road because we know technology fails. Now they're going to say, well, humans fail. Yes, they do. Okay. But we also have tests that we can put on humans. We make sure they're wearing corrective lenses. And at a certain age, we can revoke that license. Okay. A computer, you don't know that it's getting the software updates. You don't have no control over what goes out there. So I think there's a big debate on what gets into the autonomous. And this was something I used to talk about a lot when we did Automotive Edge because I've had people on that have done FAA training and, and they will tell you it's just simply not there. It's not that it can't get there. But it's not there. And, and, and there's a separate subject of do we really want to unemploy our drivers? And that's a political debate. And I don't want to see that happen. So that's where we got to get involved. Now, to your comments, do I think these cameras, uh, will they uh, outdate or eliminate? No. And I, uh, adjusters, they won't. And I'll tell you why. Because these attorneys, until the law changes, uh, they're, they're going to laugh at it. <laughs> I mean, I, I I have people right now, right now that I have camera data send me outrageous demands. The, I have one that I literally just sent out a response to. This is what I was telling you about. She was at a stoplight. She starts to roll. She's rolling. My guy taps her, literally taps her, probably three miles an hour. This attorney sends me a request for policy limits. Okay? Has the Volvo Nads to send me this? You know, I almost wanted to call them up and say, Did, you know, are you sure you want to send this? Because truthfully, it's borderline fraud. Mm -hmm. And in my, actually, in my opinion, it is fraud. Uh, and I wanted to put that on. Uh, so, you know, we, I put the appropriate response back in. But the reality is the cameras aren't going to change the attorneys. Okay. The attorneys usually have to go, well, this proves you're liable. And then they'll turn around and go, well, you know, we don't know all this. Yeah, we do. Um, what's going to potentially impact adjusters? But I, I just, I, I don't see it neg negatively because there's just, insurance is everywhere and, and there's not enough adjusters as it is. Okay. So let's say we got all the laws we wanted passed tomorrow. And I've got one uh, that I'm working on right now to start introducing in, into our uh federal branches of Congress um, is save our nation's trucking, um, which I'm short term for Santa. And there's several things in it that would, it's based upon the law that Texas rolled out house bill four in 2000. I want to say 2003. I may not be hundred percent accurate on that. And it would Texas house bill four was designed to basically eliminate the rot of medical malpractice that was ruining our state at the time. And when that bill rolled out, there were several things that went through. Number one, there was a cap on damages. There was uh, a reduction in the amount of time you had. In other words, from four years to two years, there were things you had to do to prove your claim. And there was, there were several things and it effectively eliminated medical malpractice. Okay. If you're taking something medical malpractice, it's a serious suit now. And by the way, if it's legitimate, you know, uh, gross negligence stuff, yeah, it, it, it takes away the bars for um, caps, as it should. We need something similar to that to roll out for anyone, in my opinion, that has a USDOT. If you uh, have a USDOT and you 
perform interstate trucking. You cross state lines and you follow under the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. We need to have a federal law to protect against these sharks. Okay. I'm not saying give a blanket for people to go out and kill each other. No. If you're not doing the things that you need to be doing, you need to be put out of business. And part of that's going to be, we're going to have to have some give and take. We need, we need to come out and say, okay, we're going to have a minimum amount of hours that we're going to require on a federal basis. If you want to do interstate trucking. And I think personally that needs to be 120 to 150 hours. You know, I think that you've got a degree of competency. We can put you out on the road. But 30 to 60 hours, which a lot of these programs get, we're just not doing enough. So we're going to have to have some give and take. But we need to change it where, I mean, I get demands in lawsuits that are absolute joke. That these attorneys file with impunity because they can. There is nothing to stop them. But if we've got something that says you've got to meet these minimum standards, 80% of the 80% of the claims I'm dealing with go away. Yeah, kind of it sets it essentially puts the reins on these on these attorneys because they'll they'll have no grounds or legality to to file any file any suits because it doesn't fit fit the criteria. This so this bill, you are you're lobbying, you're lobbying right now to get this bill introduced in the Senate. What I'm doing right now, it's, I've got a draft and I've actually got two or three law firms that I'm working with that are all we're critiquing, bouncing back and forth uh, because it's something I want to introduce to the, uh, the House Transportation Committee. And it's something I want to introduce with the Senate Commerce Committee. I'd like CDL to help CDLU to help me do that. But uh, it's, it's, it still needs some tweaking mm-hmm. because it's got to be a give and take bill. OK. Plaintiff's industry is going to have to give up a bunch. Trucking industry is going to have to step up some things. OK. There are some things. Education is one of them. You don't get a CDL until you get this. And I think those, we, we probably, yeah, we have a grandfather period, but there's one of the things that I have to do that I don't know I haven't found yet we, is continuing education. And so what do we have as an, in a continuing education facet for truckers? Now, you, they're going to say, well, I'm on the road every damn day. That's my continuing education. Okay. What are you doing to keep up on the compliance end? Because compliance changes and, and do some things we we've got we have to clean up our house on the trucking side to make it harder for them to go through. The insurance side has to be sure that they're doing a better job on the adjusting side. We need to make it harder from the inside to present these claims, but we need some legal help. There's got the laws have got to change because right now an attorney, if they just want to, I had one the other day and, and I'm, they, they just filed with impunity where we had a driver. He wrecked his truck. Okay. For the company he was driving for. Now we call that a workplace injury because when a dri- trucker's driving, if he's in the truck, if he's in and around the truck, that's his workplace. Okay. Now in Texas, if you're in, if your employee or your contract employee gets hurt in the pursuit of your business, you are liable for their damages. Most States are that way. But Texas does not require you to carry insurance for that risk. That does not mean that you don't have the risk. It means you just chose not to insure it. Well, this particular driver had the accident, got hurt, sued the automobile carrier for damage coverage. And and they didn't even call us with a demand. They just sued. Okay. Well, first off, 
it's the wrong policy for coverage. That's under workman's compensation, under employer liability, maybe a disability, or health insurance. Long ways away from that. And I kind of had to get sideways with this attorney. And, and I, I said, look, this is a frivolous lawsuit. We're going to file a complaint with your bar under Chapter 9. And uh, it took her a couple of days. I said, if you don't remove us, we're going to file a de de declaratory action, get them removed, and I'm filing a complaint with the bar. But she didn't like that. You know, send me back a response. Blah, 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 blah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't think this, this warrants a complaint to the bar. And I'm thinking, well, you filed a suit. There should be barriers to frivolous suits like that. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and we have a bunch of them. And every time that happens, uh, an adjuster's got to be assigned to it. We may have to sign defense counsel. That money, all those expenses hit the trucker's loss runs. And those loss runs impact how much he has to pay for insurance. Sometimes I'm not going to lie, listening to you, sometimes I wish we can switch spots because I could, I would love to spend my days just shit talking lawyers. <laughs> because that, that sounds like a, a boatload of fun. Uh, you know, I wish maybe I should start a, maybe I should start a coaching business where I, I coach insurance adjusters to not fear. I should have them well, st stare down the fear of their, of these attorneys. <laughs> here's what happened about 20, 25 years ago, the insurance industry got rid of a lot of the old dogs like me. Okay. Um, because we, we, they cost more money. You know, we don't put up with the crap. Um, you know, we don't, we don't get in line and, and, and eat all the brownie syrup and all that crap. So they started going with a younger generation of adjusters, which that's fine. I understand you got to cut costs. The problem was, those, those older adjusters had a ton of experience and battle, you know, they'd been in battle. They knew how to handle these claims. These new ones that came in, there's a direct correlation to the changes in the industry on the amount of payouts that started going up. And what you also had happen is these attorneys, they recognize that most of these adjusters are just little Martha and Marvin milk toast and they run over them. Now me, they hit me. I'm a rock. <laughs> I'm an immovable object. I'll tell them to blow it out their wazoo. And I don't have a problem quoting it and go through. And I've been, I've had several threaten to sue me. And I'm like, file your petition. I care. I could care less. So we just, it's, it's a matter of expanding their knowledge. It's a matter of training and the industry can do that. It's not spending the time on it right now. And that's one of the things that I'm trying to get off the ground is some things I want to do with lobbying and training and improve it because the trucking industry needs to improve the insurance industry needs to improve. And so we all have to do what we can to, to, to do that, but we, we've got to get some legislation changed on our side. The, we have to take away the ability for a plaintiff's attorney to file a lawsuit on demand with impunity just because they can. And I'm telling you, it happens all the time. Yeah, no, I, I think most of the general public would agree with that. I don't know how many times, I mean, I've heard that growing up. I've heard that growing up throughout my life is about how, especially on the medical side of things, it's like, oh, everybody's so happy when it comes to going to, that's why, do, you know, doctors have been, haven't been as effective because everybody's so happy. That's why they don't want to do surgery right away. That's why they have, you know, they, they, you know, doctors will send you through these different loopholes. I've, I've heard this rhetoric yeah. through, through my life and I'm sure motor carriers would agree that yeah, they, they don't want this to happen. And you're absolutely I think you're absolutely right. When it comes to the trucking and insurance industry, if it if it continues as is, it's just gonna it's gonna wind up in a disaster of 
it's just going to wind up in a disaster of still having poorly trained drivers and then the elimination of tenured drivers yeah. who, have, who are being gate kept out of the industry to insurance. And I kind of want, and you had mentioned the training thing. This is, and this is huge when it comes to lobbying in DC, because we still have, because as you know, we've been making friends with, in Congress with the Freedom Caucus, you know, uh, you know, uh, Bobert from Colorado, Bracing from uh, Oklahoma. They seem to be very sympathetic to what we're doing at CDLDU. But at the same time, we have another member of the Freedom Caucus. We were talking, we, I was talking about him a few episodes ago with Justin Martin from Freightways. He's still trying to, he's still listening to the narrative from lobbying organizations of the driver shortage. He thinks that it needs to be made easier to get a CDL. He says it on his, you know, Bob, his name's Bob Good out of Virginia. He says specifically that it needs to be made easier to get a CDL because of the driver shortage and because of, you know, uh, have, you know, this idea of creating more jobs when in reality, when in reality, it's just not true. Mr. Bob Good's an idiot. Uh, (laughs) And you can, and you can quote me on that. And, and if what Mr. Good needs to do is get behind the seat of a truck and, and actually make it ascertain and and put it in and see, this is where realistically we've got to get more organized and and he's, he's probably, look, he's coming from a place of, I want to get more out there. That's great. Make it easier is not the is not the safer way to do this. So we're talking about you know when you you're talking about an eighty thousand pound piece of destruction if it's in the wrong hands. Yeah, okay. I I really think the the idea of graduated licensing is the is the best way forward. It needs to. And I, I was just at CDL at CDLLife.com summit turning point, and uh, I listened to the people from Next Gen Trucking, and they were talking about and I and I believe there was uh, there was a company there. Uh, Arter Express, they're big on this idea of graduated licensing, where you can start working there at 18, uh, backing up trailers to the doors, working at the wash bay. And Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And, and I think that's that's what you do. But to be 21 years old from North Jersey or to be 21 years old and you're you just have been in the United States for six months or you've only been in uh, Ontario for six months. And then all of a sudden you have a CDL and then you're going through. You're going down Donner Pass, uh, you know, and you haven't been driving. You've been driving for a month. Do you remember? I think this was three years ago. Do you remember the kid in Colorado that was going down I-70? Young Hispanic kid. Yeah, the the, the 110 year sentence. That yeah, 110 year sentence. That that boy never should have been behind the wheel of a truck. He wasn't ready. And that that should have been the I you know that should have been the wake up call. Is yeah. who who are we giving CDLs to? Yeah. And no, nobody asked that question. Everybody asked just the said question because he, the attorneys got fat and happy and then they went away. And that's what I'm saying. There, the laws have to change. We need to start on a federal basis. And then you got to, there's things you got to replicate on the state for interest or interstate trucking, in, excuse me, intrastate, get my, my states back behind where we can have the same enforcement. And, and this is where folks join something like CDLU contribute to them because we're trying to do lobbying efforts to get out here to make the industry more palatable, but these are changes. I, I will tell you this. The one good thing I can, I can say about any, any lobbying efforts that we're going to be doing with Congress, both whether it's on a federal or on a state level, it's not a partisan issue. Okay. It's not a Republican issue. It's not a Democrat issue. Okay. We can, we can talk about what the demographics are. It's an American issue because if we don't have trucking, if we don't fix this issue, then we will, uh, self-destruct as a nation because our lifestyle and everything that we've done today has been contributed to by the transportation industry. 
Everything that's moved is moved by truck. Now I have another say, well, that's only 7%. Well, you're moving in by rail and blah, blah, blah. Okay. You know what? When that gets moved in, a truck has to pick it up and move it. So 100% of goods and services are moved by trucks. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. Doesn't mean it won't in some future, but not in my lifetime. So we have to deal with the here and the now, and we have to get these things fixed. And right now we're in such a, a just a, just a canker sore of political crap. It's got to be pushed aside. And I do think trucking is an opportunity. I really do where I could have the most diehard liberal Democrat agree that trucking's good for America and bring that one and the most hardcore right-wing Republican together and said, look, if you two knuckleheads can agree on this, that trucking's good, it brings services, and that we need to protect it, that's a start. No, that's, that's well said. I, I, that, that's, I share that same sentiment. It's a, I think that... Like everything that we just talked about for the last hour is a foundation. It comes on the foundation of unity. There is no, yeah, there is no narrative. There is no uh, special interests. There's no demographic. Like it, it's virtually, I have said it on my social medias. It's, it's virtually an us versus them scenario. There is no, yeah, there is no, there is no two sides to transportation because we're talking and everything that has to do with if we like say we're able to accomplish this mission tomorrow where we get graduating licensing and improve everything on the insurance side and all that happens, the entire country wins. Like exactly. everybody wins. The only people who lose would are people who have won ten times over already. They won. They won for they have generational wealth to begin with. And yeah, I think that that's how I look at it. It's like I, I look at the foundation of everything going on in the transportation industry as the big unifier that would trickle down into so many of the other issues going on in our country. Because everybody's so like the the establishment as it is has drawn so many lines in the sand on where people should be and who they should support and you know all this you know all that that nonsense. And you you can't you can't put transportation in an echo chamber. No, and, and yeah, that that's the best part, and it's it's part of why I love do, doing what I do and ha and having these conversations. Um, if uh, I I do have I, I got I got two more questions for you. One one is a personal one piece of advice mm -hmm. that I think can help people, and this is on the insurance side. And then another is just for for anybody for new or current small businesses is so. We'll, we'll start with kind of well, yeah. We'll start with anybody anybody who's looking to become a motor carrier or any current ones. What, what should they be doing right now in regards to keeping their rates low, which companies they should be going towards? How can they, what can they do to best, you know, reduce their overhead and, and kind of, you know, not, I know, cause we had some doomer talk a little while ago. So what, what can they do right now? I mean, here, you, first off, you have to recognize there's going to be some fixed costs that you are not going to be able to avoid. Okay. Um, if you are coming from, a fleet and it's your first year in business, your first three years, you're under a microscope. Okay. You're going to pay more for insurance. You're going to pay. I don't care what people say. You're going to pay on the low side, 20 to 30 grand for your commercial liability for your motor truck cargo, for your physical damage. That doesn't include if you got to do workman's compensation or overhead. So you need to factor that budget in right now. And it's going to go up because of the things we talked about earlier. You need to run a financial P and L of here's what you can make. Here's what I got to take out in expenses. And can you be profitable? You know, that's, that's what you have to determine. The market's going to be out there for it. I mean, you know, there's a couple of markets that write 
new ventures. It's, it's, it's a little tougher to get new ventures right now, but it's not impossible. The other is take the consideration. If you're wanting to come through, you may have to look at, you know, as we discussed, leasing on to somebody else as an owner operator that's been out there for a while because they go through. If you lease on as an owner operator, then you need to, even though you're an independent contractor, you need to recognize and act as an employee for that motor carrier and do your best job. So you don't skunk it up for them. Okay. Those are just a couple of things you've got to do right now and, and recognize, look, trucking's not going to go away. Insurance is not going to go away. This isn't the first time we've had this, but we've got a situation of, of, an, of an inflationary environment due to fraud. You didn't have nothing to do with it. I didn't have nothing to do with it. Doesn't change a thing. And recognize we're going to have a couple of years. It's going to be a little rough, but run your profit and losses. Okay. And be honest with yourself. You know, what does it cost to run your software? What does it do to do your compliance? You know, safety right now, and for those of you who are not big on the safety departments and stuff like that, and, and I, I understand it takes away a little driver autonomy. Unfortunately, your methodology of thinking is being crushed. And it's being crushed by economic forces in the plaintiff's attorney associations who have figured this industry out. They these sons of these sons of bitches put out a training university. Okay. They send plaintiff's attorneys to these uh, to trucking you to learn how to screw you understand what you're up against. Okay. It's what was available 10, 15 years ago is no longer the game today. If you can't afford it, find someone who can do your safety for you. Okay. As I spoke earlier, a lot of the good trucking companies that I insured, they're great truckers. They were lousy business people. If you have that deficiency, find a way to farm it out. And there are organizations, CDOU is one of them, where you can find ways to farm that out for a reduction in cost and get benefits so you can go out and get your loads and run. And that's what you have to look at. You have to, you have to look at you can handle only what you can handle and try to delegate to the best of your ability what you can. That's pretty insane that uh, you mentioned that lawyers have put together courses that you can go to to – to, for you, how much money you can siphon it's they, they 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 look right now on the menu of what to have for breakfast lunch dinner and dessert from a plaintiff's attorney the top of the list right now is trucking oh yeah they their mouths are probably watering like those yeah. resident evil dogs i can yeah i can i can already yeah. say and there's all kinds of you know, there, there's there's other you know there's chemical malpractice there's all but those things can take years okay Truck truck claims going to pay out in six to twelve months. It's that yeah that those, those tight of turnarounds yeah who wouldn't want that yeah the quick yeah the quickest payday so, you know so they're looking at they're look, and and it's it's a cottage industry I'm telling you I I deal with these these rats it's a cottage industry right now and I know when a claim comes in and they ask a certain amount I know what they're willing to settle for it's one of the reasons I, I get a lot of it done because I know there's a if they, if they send me in demand. For five hundred thousand dollars, that means we can probably settle it for two hundred to two hundred fifty thousand. Okay, and that means they they've spent enough on medicals and blah blah blah. This they'll they'll tell me if I don't settle it for that, fine, we'll go to trial, and then we'll spend one hundred fifty thousand dollars at trial to pay the same thing. That's why I get these things closed because I'm trying to stop the bleeding. Yeah, you just need to get, yeah pack it and move move on. I got gotcha. you. 
I now I this this is kind of a personal question because I'm going to be calling this as soon as we're done recording. I'm actually going to be calling this this woman. I I was backed into back in May at, at a love truck stop in Clive, Iowa, and uh, the person the person went through my front headlight. It was like fifteen thousand dollars worth of damage. Now I was contracted to Warren Transport. Warren Transport they they subrogate it essentially. So it went through nationwide and everything. But when the repairs were complete. Warren pays for the repairs and then they they go through and get paid through. I believe it's nationwide uh, in the and the woman is an adjuster with nationwide and then nationwide will pay pay Warren for it. They already accepted the responsibility. The guy admitted fault right in the parking lot. So it's not like there was any sort of argument. Now, I'm I, I'm chasing nationwide down for the lost wages. How can I expedite this? Because I've heard this story from a lot. There's a lot of different guys out there. I've talked to a lot of people on Twitter about this. You know, you being you know, uh, who you are, you know, you stop the bleeding quick, you know, how do you, how do you chase these people down? How do you, you know, what puts the fear of God in them to say, Hey, I need to do, I should do my job and do the right thing. Everything needs to be formalized in writing. Okay. Uh, by email, by fax, sometimes certified mail, you know, in other words, you need to be sure that they're getting it. Uh, if they've accepted liability, it's as, as which they have, you know, in this particular case, what you've got is one side's accepted liability, but your particular carrier, that you're uh, you were leased upon has paid it, and they're in the subrogation means they're trying to get back. Okay, mm-hmm. technically, Nationwide is not responsible for your lost wages. The guy that backed into you, he is, and you've got to find out who his insurance carrier is. Which you can get his DOT from the police report. Go to Safer, all right. Do a query on it. Go in the upper right hand corner. Look for license and insurance. Go through, get his carrier information, and you can file a claim direct with it. But from a subrogation standpoint, Nationwide is not responsible for your lost wages. The other party is, and that's one you have to go direct to. So this would be a separate claim, you're saying? because You I, basically I, have to open it up with the other one. Yeah, because subrogation, keep in mind on subrogation, all they're going to do is pay the property damage. Mm-hmm. Okay, They're not going to pay any lost wages. They're not going to pay any bodily injury or stuff like that. They're just going to pay for the property damage. All that other has got to go against the actual party that ran into you ah okay good good to know that's actually good information so uh and one last question for you so what's yeah what's the next six months look like for you what's the future i've seen i you know i i read i read a little bit about you i've seen you've you've run for office before you've tried to you know you tried to run for political positions and i'm sad you're not in dc right now because we can certainly use somebody with your level of with your level of intelligence and level of experience in something like this imagine if you were in the transportation committee i've been actually in talks with i believe it's uh, uh one a representative up in your area colin allred he's running against ted cruz i've been in touch with his team uh they he he wants to come on the show and talk but i mean i look at somebody like if him you and- get colin on the show you'll be doing better than i did because i tried for two years to get him on automotive edge or truck talk and i couldn't get him on but I, it, I mean, hopefully it was because he was too busy. I just, like I said, all I've gotten was an email back uh, yeah. and maybe they're in campaign mode for, for because this is a big election because he's running against Senator Cruz. But, it's, yeah, you know, he's he, some, he, he's going to he, get his butt handed to him. I don't I don't I don't foresee him doing that that well in the race, given how the gubernatorial race just went in Texas. Yeah. But he's I look at his resume and he's a lawyer. Uh, you know, and he seems to be very partial to, to, to civil liberties and stuff like that, but he's on the transportation committee. 
And, and you know, so it makes me he, wonder, it's like, why? He, he, he was stuck on that when uh, 2018, when the House went to the Democrats. Um, Colin's not a bad guy, okay? You have to look at bills he's drafted. You have to look at legislation he's sponsored. He, he, he is a body on the Transportation Committee. I wouldn't say he's an advocate of the Transportation Committee. That being said, that doesn't mean that he can't change. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, this is where I look at trucking can be a unifier because it, th- this isn't a Republican issue. It's not a Democrat issue. This is if we don't fix this. Okay. If we don't fix this in the next five years, people aren't going to be able to afford to run trucks. Okay. Well, what happens if we can't run trucks? We can't move supplies. If you want an example of what absolute anarchy looks like when trucks don't move, Look at what happened in Brazil. I don't remember if it was 2016 or 17. They had a trucker strike. Within 30 30 days, that nation was ready to cannibalize itself. And don't think that we've got this great veneer of civility in America. We don't. I guarantee you, trucks stop running, supply stops running. We'll, we'll, We'll be killing each other in 36 hours in large volumes. And I don't have a problem telling that to people. Um, so I think you should use that as far as, you know, things happen for a reason. Um, you know, the Senate run didn't, you know, I got close, but close doesn't count except in horseshoes and hand grenades, but it led to, I've had two different appointed positions. I, I served as a County commissioner for five years. Uh, we did some things with getting some increases in revenue and not raising property taxes, which has been very beneficial to the County. Uh, I spent two years on the Brazos river authority, um, getting some things and, and exercising some some bad some bad information that I'd had on something that actually had impacted that Senate. My days of running in, in terms of an elected position are over. I, I just I don't have the patience anymore. I don't have the uh, the ability to to eat the the varnished horn swaggle that they're going to send at you. But I do think with what you know, we've been trying to work on this tow truck program for four years. And my heart's broken that we've got blown to bits literally within a month of being able to sign something because of what's happened in reinsurance markets and fraud. That being said, you know, a year from now, things will change. Um, what I'm probably going to continue to do is work on the claim side for a while, but I don't think I'm going to continue to work for the group. It's not that there's anything wrong with it. I just think I can do it better. And I've had some people approach me that would like to back it. So, I'm probably going to do that. And then once that's go do more on the lobbying side, um, whether it's by myself or through CDLU, I think I can be more effective talking about specifically because I'm not just looking at representing the trucking industry. I am looking at representing the insurance industry as well because it needs some help too. But we've got people that are just too damn stupid to, to, to say, you know, here's what I got to do. And I've got people that are willing to back that. We're just trying to get a few things on how that looks. Um, the tow truck program was kind of a linchpin. And now that that's not going to happen, I'm going to move forward with the TPA and start launching that. So what I want to be doing is spending time on Capitol Hill, talking to the house transportation committee, talking to the Senate commerce and transportation committee. Um, but there's some things that need to also happen in terms of accountability. And this takes money. The, the radio show that I did with Kurt chase was a good show, but it wasn't my show. And we parted company because, COVID kind of killed us at be, work, being able to work in the studio and we had to work from home. You can see the, this. 
And he got a Comrex and we started going out and Kurt was big on the car industry and I'd been in it and I did the other side of it and it kind of changed the show and we ended up partnering companies. I did my own podcast for a year, had a pretty good following, but I wasn't on the right network and I couldn't monetize it. So there's a point you got to look at the, you know, the financials of it. If you're going to do it, you got to build run it. Well, I've got an opportunity to go back with iHeart, but that, that airtime is not free. And so I think the proper way, the best way, and this is what I'm working on, and I've talked with people like Jim and, and others, is I want to be able to do lobbying, but I want to be able to do it and have a, a, a large audience to, to go to. Uh, I've got a three to five Monday through Thursday time slot that I can slide into. And I think the best thing to do to make these guys work is call them on the carpet. Okay. For example, if we submit what I call the Santa bill and it rolls through the Senate committee because we got crews there and it's stuck in the house because someone at the house doesn't want to go through. Well, you know, those are people we need to call on the carpet. Mm -hmm. Those are the people we need to get on live on a live broadcast and say, Hey, this house of representative X doesn't want you to do this and you need to blow up his phone lines. It can be done. We're not there yet in terms of organization or the mechanism to get that out. Um, that's really what I want to do to launch the lobbying and consulting, because I think it's only as effective as the ability to call people on the carpet who don't take this seriously, who don't want to put the time in. And I think it's, it's a process that, you know, again, I don't, it, and I'll do it to a Republican just as I will a Democrat. If they basically ignore us and, and don't want to be a part of it, I'm going to call them out on the carpet, but the mechanism's not in place yet. So that's kind of where I'm leaning. Um, there's just a few things that I've got to put into play before I can, you know, roll it out. I've, I've got a lot, you know, I'm talking with trucking firms. I'm talking with law firms. I'm talking with adjusting firms, uh, I'm talking with insurance agents because this in, impacts them as well. So there's a budget I'm trying to put together. And when it's, you know, here's when I'm, and there's, there's also some things you got to register, you know, register with the FEC. You got to register with each state that you want to go to. Cause this isn't just a national thing. We could roll out a national and get it done. But if you're having in trust state trucking and you don't have the same protections, you can still get screwed. So you don't, it can't just be done on the federal level. We've got to go, you know, state to state and get it done. And it costs money to do that, you know, so it's trying to work on those mechanisms. Yeah. That's, I think that that gets lost along the way where people think when it comes to, because that's the thing I'm trying to talk to my Congressman, who's, you know, he's more of a progressive Democrat, Greg Kassar. He's, you know, down my way. And, you know, people are like, oh, you're trying to hound him. He's not on the transportation committee. Well, I don't care because what I'm trying to talk about with him is we have wage suppression going on. We have indentured servitude at our ports. We have all this. And if he's going to parade around on Instagram saying, I care about workers' rights and he's going to go stand on the picket line. That's right. Hey, buddy, we've got fraud and negligence and horrible safety conditions. We have immigrants being taken advantage of. Where are you at? Like that, that's the thing with transportation. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're on a committee. You, you've got I, a job hate, to do. I hate to say this but we got to deal with the realities mm. when we're dealing with these guys. And, and again, we're, we're going to use your Congressman cause you brought him up, but I'm not, it's not exclusive to this Congressman or this political party. You have to stroke these sons of bitches egos. Yeah. Okay. I, I hate to say that. I hate to break down what should be an obvious do the right thing for the country, but we need to remember who we're talking to. Mm. Okay. 
And as the old benefit goes, if when if you're selling a program and we're selling a program, okay, one of the, the one of the basics of salesmanship 101 is how does our customer, in this particular case, our politician, how do they benefit from it? Okay. And I, this is where I think, I, I think it's a win. I don't, I, I, I think this, again, it, it crosses party lines. It crosses ideology. It, if, if it, you're right. It doesn't matter if he's on the House Transportation Committee. If he gets behind the fact that, oh my God, you know, how many, how many people does the trucking sector employ? Yeah. In, in Texas alone, you're looking at three quarters of a million. There's 750,000. Yeah. What, three or five million nationally. This is a big constituency. Get yeah. behind it. If, Help yeah, it. If, if that's what uh, we had, I had this conversation with, with Jim Heffernan. We were talking about this, like when it comes to like, so for Colin Allred, for example, if he say he comes out in full swing and all he does on it for election season is say, I'm going to fight for truckers. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And he gets involved in just that. I mean, I'm pretty sure, I think, I think O'Rourke only, he lost by, he didn't lose by 750,000 votes, but imagine if all the okay. truckers came and supported, like let, it let, is, but you're let, right. I'm just saying me, you're right. Let me back up and uh, let, let me give you a little bit of Texas politics and why yeah. Beto did as well. Okay. Ted got his ass handed to him by the base because of his behavior with president Trump after the election. And he pissed off a lot of Republicans, myself included. Okay. Mm -hmm. And Ted thought that he just could strut around. And what happened was when Beto came out and the county chairs told Ted this, you may lose if you don't come out and apologize. Ted didn't come out and apologize. And a lot of voters stayed home. Yeah. That's this why some, it was close. This is some good inside baseball. Cause I don't think a yeah. lot of people know about this. Now, people don't know about this. Okay. I'm just telling you, Ted, that, that was a, Hey, mother trucker, you need to remember who put you in office. And quite honestly, had more stayed home, Beta would have won that, but it wasn't because Beta was a better candidate. It's because Ted pissed off the wrong people. Mm. Now, after that election, Ted came around with his ass in his hat and apologized. I am so sorry. I will not do that again. And Ted Starr has been on the rise ever since. Okay. From a political conjunctive in our state, the way Texas is made up politically, Colin does not stand a chance against him. He just doesn't. The state is getting more and more conservative. It's not getting less. And you're seeing areas like the Valley, which had been voting Democrat for years. They're so sick. They're basically, they're very conservative people down there. They just voted Democrat because that's what they were told. But they see what's happening with the border. It's changing. So, yeah. Texas is not becoming a less conservative state. It's becoming a more conservative state. And Colin Allred just really doesn't stand a chance. If Colin Allred really wants to benefit the folks of Texas, he could, he's in an area where he can get reelected. I know the gal that ran against him last time. She was, she was a great candidate, but it's gotten a little more liberal. That's fine. Colin can go back and do a better job for the, for his district. He doesn't have to be a Senator to do better. He could focus on his district and focus on these things, just like your guy, okay? I don't know if he's going to go up against, but if he just wants to be a, a – and this is what we've got to get across to these guys. It doesn't need to be just when you come out to run for office, you piece of crap, okay? You took an oath of office to improve the United States of America, period. I understand they've got what they want, and we've got what we want on political ideologies. Nobody is looking for areas 
where we could get together and say, hey, I'd like to do this. Trucking is one of those opportunities. You know what else is an opportunity? Term limits. I guarantee you, both sides can agree to term limits. You know what else? Congressional spending. Both sides can say, we'd like a cap on congressional spending. Mm-hmm. I've got the most, I've got some very liberal friends. They just, they go insane with some of the spending bills from their own party as well as from Republicans. So there's areas that we can put people together on. Nobody is focusing on. And I think trucking can be the lynch key to getting all of this together because if somebody tells you that trucking is not important, they're retarded. <laughs> and no, that word should be used with impunity. You're retarded and you should not be in office. Yeah, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with that. Uh, it's it, because it's it, people have no idea. That's the thing. It's, you know, they think, oh, they're not worried about transportation. They've got Ukraine war. They've got all this spending. They got all this stuff. Well, guess what? None of that, Matt. If transportation, if all of a sudden transportation disarray, we saw the only time transportation hit the news is was when the railroad or UPS might go on strike. And when you and if UPS going on strike, guess what? That doesn't. It's not that that has not, that's not your food. UPS has nothing to do with food, you know, uh, or any anything for survival. That's, uh, but, that's that's sub Amazon. Yeah. So it's just it doesn't it that doesn't really matter. But anything with no, nothing with trucking hits the news except when they want to lie about the driver shortage or when they want to, uh, you know, make whenever they want to use tr- trucking as political pawns. But, yeah, no, you couldn't be any more or more correct. A- everybody needs to be on board with with what's going on in transportation and, and here's uh, the thing and this is one of the things that i get people and, and i had it happen when i was working on the county level i get aggressive on this stuff mm-hmm. and i i will call it what it is um we cannot play word games and political correctness with our elected officials anymore when they start get well, you know, I've, I'm hearing that we, we've got this driver shortage. Would you, would you like to know why we have a driver shortage center? It's because it's not enough damn money in it. Because people can't feed their kids on it. Why don't you take six months out and go drive a truck and tell us if you can make it work? It's I, These people have to be slapped around. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, I'm not saying we got to physically get up and do it, but mentally they should be slapped right across their freaking faces and, and, and the, the nonsense has got to stop. Yeah, no, they, they do need a wake up call. And that's that's the huge that's what I'm trying to do with this show is talk to is talk to people like you talk to as many drivers as I can in the industry. So to give a real so when people ask, well, what's it like? Here you go. Go listen. Go watch. That's all you need to do, you, because I could tell them the stories. But once you collectively get enough stories and enough, you know, enough and you talk to enough people who are actually doing it, you'd be like, wow, you know, I'm almost at 100 episodes you know, I'll talk, I'll, I'll talk to another thousand drivers. Hey, here's a thousand episodes where on each episode, every driver is going to talk about how they had to leave that, you know, they had to work for five different companies before they found a decent job. And you can hear about the pay, you can hear about X, Y, Z. And uh, yeah, it's, there's a total disconnect between, uh, you know, the working class, especially something like trucking and, and people who are in DC. Yes, it is. Yeah. Well, we've had fun. Yeah, no, th- this was good, and I'd love to have you back on soon to talk about any drama going on in the uh, in the insurance uh, in the insurance world, especially as stuff kind of kind of go- goes up. So we should definitely be in touch. But for anybody listening who needs who needs your services, where can where can people find you? I mean, if they look, 
I have no problem visiting with someone, uh, kind of, I'll, I'll call it as coverage counsel. <laughs> Uh, the best way to do it is to send me an email. Uh, my, uh, general consulting email is D Y at Y I C G L P.com. And, um, if I can help them, I will, or if I've got a re good referral source, um, you know, I, there's a lot of things that, you know, I may ask you for your DOT may ask you for some documents, share it because I'm going to look at it, but that's the easiest way to get a hold of me. Awesome. Perfect. And yeah, for anybody out there listening, we mentioned him a lot on this show. Uh, we're both members of an organization called CDL Drivers Unlimited, and we we have a lot going on and we have a lot going on. I've mentioned them before on the advocacy front. We've been talking about how we're making friends in D.C., how we're doing lobbying. We have, you know, Rep Representative Brasheen. He's contacted CDLDU on for specific rhetoric on a bill before he went to anybody else. So we're making a lot of headway. But in another way, CDLDU is helping drivers is like what Mr. Yancey's been talking about. We're trying to help carriers and drivers with insurance related things and keeping the, keeping their compliance and keeping, keeping their costs as low as possible. So when it comes to, if, you know, if you are in, this is anybody who holds a CDL, whether you're a school bus driver, city bus driver, you drive a box truck, you drive a tractor trailer, you do flatbed reefer. It doesn't matter what you are. If, if you hold any sort of CDL, you can you can join the organization. Uh, the more the more members, the better. Uh, we were recently, you know, the Transportation Research Board had a uh, they had a hearing in D.C. not too long ago. And we had members of CDLDU up right there talking about driver compensation sitting right next to OIDA. So, you know, uh, this organization is already making headway. It's several years in the making. So if you are out there thinking about, hey, uh, you know, because that's the thing. We, a lot of people, they've been seeing the contract negotiations with UPS. They've been seeing the Teamsters looking a little bit strong since the UPS. But there's a lot of drivers who don't want to be in a union. They say, oh, what can we do? Well, a lot of what can you do is join CDLDU. Like, like Darren mentioned earlier, there's three and a half million truck drivers out there in the U.S., you know, I think OIDA only has 350,000 members. So and I'm not I'm not saying anything good or bad about OIDA. Uh, but the thing is, imagine if CDLDU or OIDA had three million members all paying dues. It gives you a leg up in D.C. And it also gives you a leg up to hire staff, to hire people who can help, you know, motor carriers out there with like what we're talking about with cameras and all that stuff, stuff going on. So if we had 300,000 people willing to um, make calls, faxes, and emails, um, that's a big enough army on its own just to get stuff done. Yeah. If 300,000 people were calling DC once a week, mm -hmm. you know, it, you can't ignore it. Like that's you how, know. you know, when, when it comes and, to, and, and we have voice. to get to that level, we have to get, you know, if, and if we can get reach a million, People that are willing to, you know, and we put out, hey, look, for example, we, we introduce a bill and uh, it gets held up in a committee and we need to call some people out on that. You got a million people that are willing to uh, dial and email and fax and go on websites and do that. Um, just remember this. January 6th of 2020. A million people watched on Mar Mar Washington, D.C. because they felt that the election was tainted. And the entire body of both houses of Congress crapped their pants. That's one million people. Now take that same force and put it in electronic motion for an electronic uh, game of we need to get your attention. 
you will get the same result. They will crap their pants and they will do whatever they need to do. And the difference is it won't matter if they put a barricade up because they can't stop the emails. They can't stop all that stuff. So think about how strong you do or don't want to be and how you want to make an impact. Because if you do, it's within your reach. Absolutely, man. Well said. What a place to leave it. Uh, Darren Yancey, thanks again for coming on the show. Really appreciate you, man. We'll, we'll get you back up here soon. Okay. Thanks. All right. Thank you. And thank you all once again for tuning in. That wraps up episode 94 of the Lombard Trucking Show. You know where to find me at Lombard Trucking everywhere. And with that, we're back to the bench. Take care.